Ecclesiastes chapter 7 this morning. Normally, I would have had the uh, second scripture reader read the passage or the, the context, at least, of what I'll be preaching from. In this case, I would have had uh, him read Ecclesiastes 7, verse 15, to the end of the chapter, verse 29. Uh, the challenge is, is, well, it's challenging. That's a, quite a uh, passage we have before us. I had thought about preaching this entire passage, but as I work through it, uh, verses 15 to 18 is more than enough for a, a message today. And so I want to take the time to walk through this. But let's listen as I read First Ecclesiastes 7, verses 15 to 18. Solomon says, I have seen everything in my days of vanity. There is a just man who perishes in his righteousness, And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in wickedness. That's his statement, his assertion. And from that, he makes an application in verses 16 to 18. He says, do not be overly righteous, nor be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Do not be overly wicked, nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp this and also not remove your hand from the other, for he who fears God will escape them all. Title today's message, If X, Then Y. I feel it my duty as pastor and as a dad, now that our kids are out of school for the year, to remind them that school is a great thing. And one of the best subjects that you can study is mathematics. Math is awesome. I loved math in high school. Took algebra, algebra 2, trigonometry. Um, Seems like I took another one. Geometry as well. I wasn't man enough to do calculus. Didn't get that far enough into it. But I really loved math so much so that I thought, maybe I'll be a math teacher. Now that's really weird isn't it? But there was just something about the axioms and the theorems and all these different things about it. And if X is, if, if you have X and then that means Y and, and then all this is kind of part of it. Similar, and this might have been part of my, well, geekiness, not saying that this is always so. Every person who loves math is a geek, but that's okay. Somebody's got to love math in this world, right? I also, growing up, my dad worked at IBM in the 1980s. Um, The IBM PC came out early 1980s, and my dad bought one. I talked about this recently. And I wanted to learn how to program. And so dad had a great big three-ring binder on how to program in the computer uh, language called BASIC. And so I would follow that. I'd do all my line numbers. And one of the commands was along the lines of, what's the title today? If X, then Y. If you do this, then this will happen. And I had a lot of fun with that, loops and things like that. 1997, 1998, jumping ahead quite a bit from that time, I was in seminary. I had four children. I had a beautiful wife. I still have a beautiful wife. It was around late December, if I remember right. 
My birthday, as you know, is two days after Christmas. And so I had Christmas money and birthday money in my pocket. What do you buy for a young man? It's really a hard thing. So what most of my family did is they would give me either money or gift cards to the bookstores in town in, in West Michigan. Back then, you had Baker Bookhouse, you had Erdman's, you had Kriegel used books, uh, you had Zondervan's as well. And ever, my family knew one of those days, Dan is gone the whole day. I'm hitting the bookstores. Um, now there's only one of those left because now we can just buy it online. But there's just nothing like walking through the shelves and pulling down the books and finding some gem. But that's how you did it back in the day. So life was good, I thought. Four great kids, beautiful wife. I'm in seminary and get to study the word. I was leaving Baker Bookhouse. Treasures in tow. Traffic is really busy there on East Paris in, in uh, is it Kentwood or Cascade, Michigan. And I managed to get over in the left-hand lane, but I still need to go over that way. Traffic is zooming this way. I look in my rearview mirror, I see the stoplight just turned red. And so my assumption is that oncoming traffic is going to start slowing down. So I had my left blinker on. Traffic is starting to slow down, and I look ahead and I see a little gap coming. Ah, my opportunity. Those years of driving through Chicago traffic are about to pay off. How do you drive through Chicago? You just force your way into it. That's what you do. And so I had my left blinker on, little gap coming, red light, traffic's going to slow down. I see this individual driving towards me, and I have my left blinker on, right? And so I, so I start to slowly pull out, assuming, what's today's sermon title? If X, then Y. If this person sees me, then they will stop, right? Because why would they want to run on headlong into me, right? Guess what happened? The individual didn't stop. Oh, and something else. We had a brand, almost a brand new minivan that somebody had given to us. Oh. Didn't work out. I did this, so this should have happened. Solomon, here in Ecclesiastes, is helping us learn how to live a righteous life in a sin-cursed world. Starting at this point in chapter 7 and verse 15, through much of, uh, through the rest of this chapter, most of chapter 8, in this section, he is going to help us recognize that things will happen that we do not understand. Things are going to happen that we do not understand. And he starts right off, right out of the gate, in verse 15. <coughs> Excuse me. He said, I have seen everything in my days of vanity. There is a just man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in wickedness. I put it this way for number one. Christian, things will happen that just don't seem right. You'll see lots of things during your frustrating life in this sin-cursed world, your days of vanity, your frustrating life in this sin-cursed world. He makes two observations in verse 15. The first observation is this. 
He sees one who loves the Lord and lives a Christ-like life and suddenly dies. He sees someone who loves the Lord, who's on fire for Christ, who lives a godly life, and they suddenly die. I think of the missionary in the 1950s by the name of Jim Elliott, who gave his life to serve the Lord, to bring the gospel to the Aka Indians who never knew about the true God. But yet, he had barely gotten started there when he was killed by those same Indians. This is the first thing that Solomon sees, that this is a hard thing to make sense of. But there's a second thing he says it doesn't make sense. There's a wicked man who prolongs his life in the midst of his wickedness. So number two, he sees one who hates the Lord and lives a godless life, but he lives a long, healthy, prosperous life. He lives a long, healthy, prosperous life. This doesn't make sense. It seems to me that if you live a godly life, then you'll have a long, good life. If X then why? And it seems to me, Solomon says, in this life, that if you live a godless life and you raise your fist against God, that God will strike you dead. That's what I would expect. You think of godless Hollywood actors and actresses who mock God, who play God, who use God's name in vain, who live immoral lives and flaunt it and say, you who live otherwise, you're wrong. But yet, they live for long lives, but a Jim Elliot dies young. This is a hard thing to grasp. This is a puzzle, number three, and I forgot to change the abbreviation there of ML. That stands for Mosaic Law, okay? That's Solomon's background. That's the truth he's operating from. That's the jurisdiction under which they were other. This is a puzzle, he says, because of three passages. Let me give them to you. The first is Exodus chapter 12. I'm sorry, Exodus 20, verse 12. Exodus 20, verse 12. This is one of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 12 says, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be, what? Long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. This doesn't make sense, God. This godly man, he did live a long life, but yet Exodus 20, 12 says he should. The second passage, Deuteronomy 4, 40. Deuteronomy 4, 40. There God said, you shall therefore keep his statutes and commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. I've given you these commands so that when you obey them, you'll live a long, happy, prosperous life. But Solomon says, I'm seeing guys do that and they die. A third passage, what we read earlier, Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who, what? Does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Does not... Uh, Stand in the path of sinners or sit in the sea of the scornful. He'll be like what? A tree planted by the water, strong and fruitful. But what will the wicked be like? Tumbleweeds blowing here and there. They're like chaff 
They're gone. But Solomon says, I'm seeing someone who loves the Lord, lives a Christ-like life, and they suddenly die. But I see the wicked who live long, healthy, prosperous lives. This is a puzzle. So what should you do? So what you do do? That brings us then to verses 16 and 17. What should you do? Number two, don't assume you know what God will or won't do. This is one of the more challenging passages in Ecclesiastes, verses 16 and 17. I'm going to jump right into it because we need to have this understood right so that we get what Solomon's saying. He says, verse 16, do not be overly righteous nor be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? There are three different interpretations. Follow my notes here. That's why I gave them to you to grasp it and to better understand it. Three different interpretations of righteousness here. First is this. First different interpretation. You can be too righteous, so be moderate in your pursuit of it. M-O-D-E-R-A-T-E. Be moderate in it. And let me develop this uh, interpretation, what people are saying here. This is not what I'm saying is right. It's what they say. This is how you understand it. They're saying you can live too righteously and you can live too wisely. You need to tone down your righteous living. Be moderate. Kind of halfway between righteousness and wickedness. Don't be too holy and don't be too wicked. Sin and moderation. There are actually people who say that this is what's being said. How should we assess this? Well, we need to understand a statement of Scripture in its what? Its context. So what's the context here? That's verse 15. I'm seeing something that doesn't make sense. By seeing this as... You need to be moderate. This is your response to that. If that's one of the options, that's one of the options here. By seeing it as moderate, this really misses the point of it. In verse 15, Solomon shared he had a difficult time understanding how God can cause the righteous to suffer, but the wicked to prosper. I saw a righteous man die and a wicked man live a long life. The answer to Solomon's dilemma of verse 15 is not this. Live a balanced life of righteousness and wickedness. That is not the answer. That goes against, write down Leviticus 19.2. A moderate, balanced life of righteousness and wickedness goes 100% against Leviticus 19.2, where God said, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. It's not talking about me being moderate. A second way this is interpreted is don't be self-righteous. Don't be self-righteous. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a Pharisee. Don't be a legalist. That you think that by doing this, that that makes you right with God. That's what a legalist is. A legalist is someone who believes, when I keep the list... Don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, don't hang with those who do. You know, when I keep all God's commands, that's what makes me right with God. Should you keep God's commands? Yes. Is that what makes you right with God? No. What's the song that we sang two songs ago? 
Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my glory are. Okay? The legalist believes that his righteousness makes him accept God. But this is not talking about self-righteousness. This is not a correct interpretation of either because it doesn't fit the, what's the C word? Context. It doesn't work. Because if that was the case, then what would Solomon be saying in verse 15? If Solomon's talking about avoiding self-righteousness, and this is what Solomon would be saying in verse 15. He would be saying, it makes no sense to me when I see a thoroughly self-righteous, hypocritical man die, but a wicked man lives a long life. It doesn't make sense, does it? Lord, you should give the self-righteous man a long life. No, self-righteousness is sin, Isaiah 1. 100%. The righteousness here, it's not talking about being moderate. It's not talking about self-righteous. It's number three. This is genuine righteousness. Genuine is your blank there. This is genuine righteousness. The righteousness of verse 16 is the same as verse 15. What is Solomon's puzzle in verse 15? Why do the righteous die? but the wicked prosper. That isn't how it should be. It should be that the righteous live long, healthy, prosperous lives, but the wicked live short lives of woe and suffering. If X, then Y. That's how it should be. And that's what Solomon is warning us against here, a mechanical view of God. You cannot put God into those parameters. The word translated overly here. The idea of this is an excessiveness. It is assuming. It is assuming that because how you live, it is assuming that, let me back up. The idea of the overly righteous is you're assuming because you're obeying God, that God will bless you. Let me put it another way. You want God to bless you And so you're going to live a righteous life. That's what Solomon is saying you shouldn't do. We do see the righteous suffer. We do see the wicked enjoy much in this world. That is a fact, verse 15. And so Solomon says to us in verse 16, don't live a righteous life because you expect to be rewarded in this life. So number two, I put it in a positive way or in a, a, another way. Never assume that God must bless the righteous in this life. Never assume that God must bless the righteous in this life. Don't presume, don't assume That your righteousness and wisdom guarantees the good life. If X, then Y. Let me address the last two words of verse 16. Why should you destroy yourself? This is used four other times in the Old Testament. We're not going to go there. But I know some of you like to study more, so let me give you the passages. Psalm 143, verse 4. Psalm 143, verse 4. Isaiah 59, verse 16. Isaiah 59, verse 16. And then the third is Isaiah 63, 5. Isaiah 63, 5. And the last is Daniel 8, 27. 
Daniel 8, 27. Every time that this word is used in those passages, it has the idea of, I was astonished. I was appalled. I was shocked. I was surprised. That's how we should interpret or translate it here as well. And so I'd encourage you, maybe in pencil, in your Bibles there where it says destroy yourself, and I've done this in mine, just write appalled or astonished or uh, surprised. That's what's being said there. So the idea then of verse 16 is this. When you think, I want God to bless me, and so I'm going to live a righteous life, if you have that kind of a mechanical view of God, if X, then Y, you're going to be shocked because you might go through some hard times. You might not live as long as you think. You might not enjoy all these blessings. Don't live a presumptuous life. Don't assume that because you're obeying God, you will then enjoy blessing. You will be disappointed. You will be shocked. You'll be astonished. Think of Job. That was Job's attitude through much of, this, of, his, of his speeches. Lord, I lived a righteous life. I shouldn't be going through this. Why is that God? Number three brings us to verse 17. Do not be overly wicked. Again, so the idea of overly is to presume or assume. Uh, Do not be overly wicked, nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? So number three is never assume God doesn't judge the wicked. Never assume God doesn't judge the wicked. Remember Solomon's problem at the verse 15? Lord, why am I seeing the wicked continue and they're not punished? And so the wicked can have this idea. God isn't judging me. Where is God? I can go ahead and sin all I want then. Solomon says, don't presume, don't assume that just because God doesn't judge you right now, that God will never judge you. He will. Why should you die before your time? Hold your place here. I want to take you to a psalm where this is somewhat addressed. In Psalm 73, verses 12 to 20. Psalm 73, verses 12 to 20. So turn there with me, please addressing this fact that there are those, many, if not most, who live godless lives and God seemingly doesn't do anything. Psalm 73, verse 12. I'm going to start in verse 11. Speaking of the wicked, they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood the end of the wicked therein. I saw the situation from God's perspective. And 
it's from this, this is his perspective, verse 18. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they brought to desolation as in a moment. They're utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakes. So Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. God lets the wicked go in their wickedness. It gives them a false sense of security. He's judging them for their wickedness by letting them go in their wickedness. But the time will come when God will judge them. A second passage you could write down here, Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. You don't need to turn there. I think many of you will recognize the phrase. Deuteronomy 32, 35 says this, their foot shall slide in due time. 282 years ago yesterday, a congregationalist minister preached a message from that passage, their foot shall slide in due time. And the Lord used that to cause a great awakening in New England. That preacher was Jonathan Edwards. The title of his sermon was Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I encourage you to read that sermon. And he talks about how the wicked seem to go on their way, how they don't, they're they're, they're just kind of hardened in their wickedness, but God, through Jonathan Edwards and Deuteronomy 32, 35, help them see it's only God's sovereign will that is keeping them from falling into hell. Never assume that God doesn't judge the wicked because what? He will. Number four, I'm sorry, number three, verse 18 then, Solomon wraps it all together. It is good that you grasp this and also not remove your hand from the other. See both points here, he says. He who fears God will escape them all. You must fear the Lord. Verse 18. You must fear the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? Number one, the fear of the Lord is a reverent faith in Jesus Christ. A reverent faith in Jesus Christ, exclusively loving, obeying, and worshiping. Exclusively loving, obeying, and worshiping. He whom I will give an account to. The fear of the Lord is the exact opposite of the if X, then Y view of God. That kind of attitude about God, I'm going to live this kind of life because I know God will do this. Is that humble? Is that reverence? Is it motivated by love? Does it seek to obey the Lord because you want to obey him? Does it want to worship him and adore him? No, that is the opposite of fearing him. Fearing him recognizes he is God and I am not. When you fear the Lord, you will be protected, number two, 
from these two wrong motivations that we've seen here. The first wrong motivation, if I live a righteous life, that's going to guarantee a good life. You can have the wrong motivation in living a righteous life. If you live a righteous life, you're guaranteed a good life from God. Is it possible that you could be thinking that here today? I'm going to church today, you might think, and I'm going to go to church so that I can get good things from God. When you have a fear of the Lord, a reverent faith, exclusively loving, obeying, and worshiping him, that protects you from that. It also protects you from a second wrong motivation. I'm going to sin as I please because God doesn't always judge sin. I'm going to sin as I please because God doesn't always judge sin. Could it be possible that that kind of attitude could be sitting here this morning? You give little thought to God? You're living how you want for yourself by your own wisdom? And God hasn't done anything yet, so I really doubt whether there really is a God. Yep, but if you fear the Lord, that protects you from this. The main point of this passage there at the bottom of your sheet there is beware of assuming you know what God will do in this life. If you assume that you know what God's going to do, one terrible consequence would be a great disappointment. That's verse 16, a great disappointment. You will be greatly disappointed. I would encourage you to think about this. The Lord is not your true God then. Your happiness is. You're living for this life. You're wanting it now. When you don't assume what God will or won't do, that also protects you from a second disappointment, and that's verse 17. And the second disappointment is eternal damnation. A life characterized and given to sin has only one destination, and that is eternal damnation. Brother and sister, do not presume, don't assume that if you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, that that's going to result in help with your taxes and your finances. You're going to do all your taxes right. You're going to honor your, 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 your governors so that you don't have any problems with your taxes, so that everything works out, so that your finances are in line. I wish that was the case. But I can show you my own tax returns over the last however many years I've been to in taxes that there have been times when, what about this? And this tax law was changed and this tax bracket happened. And suddenly, instead of getting money back, I owe money. What happened? I could expect that if I did this, then this would have happened. Don't presume or assume that if you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, that he's going to help with some health issue that you have. Or maybe a health issue with a, a loved one, a parent, a child, 
If you do all these things that God will bless your family's health, do not think that. Don't presume or assume that I'm going to follow the Lord so that my children turn out right. A mechanical view of God. If X, then Y. We all sadly know stories and experiences in our own lives. Well, that isn't how it happens, is it? Don't presume or assume that if you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, that that is going to result in a happy, good marriage. Especially if you have an unbeliever for a spouse, that is no guarantee. No guarantee. This kind of sounds like the prosperity gospel, doesn't it? Of Solomon's time. We hear this today. Give, do this for the Lord, and God will bless you. If X, then Y. There's no humility in that. There's no reverence in that. Where's the focus in that? Me. And the focus in that, you know, we we decry the prosperity gospel people, but then we'll do it with our own taxes or our marriages and our families and our children and our health. And how is that any different? Christian, why should you live a righteous life? You should live a righteous life because you love the Lord. Because you believe and trust in him. Solomon here does not say that half-hearted obedience is perfectly fine. I was going to say write it down, but we're going to turn there. Go with me to Romans chapter 6. Solomon does not say half-hearted obedience is perfectly fine. Live a life of moderate Righteousness and wickedness. You can sin a little and that's okay. Because after all, Lord Jesus will forgive you your sins. What does the scripture say about that? Romans 6.1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? There's no moderation there, is it? Start down to verse 4. We were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Read the rest of the chapter. What should you do, Christian? Stop giving your life as an instrument and a tool for sin. Give your life as an instrument and a tool for righteousness. And he closes with a warning. In verse 20, When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you're now ashamed? What happened when you lived for sin? He says the end of those things is death. But now, Christian, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. And the end everlasting life for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord why should you live a righteous life because God saved you to live a righteous life because you're trusting him because you love him because you fear him
Stay away from sin. Stay far away from sin. Solomon does not say that being a little wicked and a little foolish is okay. Did you get that drift from what Jesus said to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3? You know what? You're tolerating Jezebel in immorality. That's okay. Tolerating it is okay. Just as long as you're not going full into it. Have a little Jesus. Have a little Jezebel. Is that what Jesus said? No. He said repent. (coughs) Repent of that. Stay away from sin. Live a righteous life because you love the Lord. Stay away from sin. Never assume that you know what God will do. Never assume that you know what God will do. You could well live a righteous, God-pleasing life and the Lord could see fit to give you sickness like Job. He could cause you to lose everything financially. He could bring about great trial. And we must say what? The Lord is good. I will trust him. He does what's right. I don't see the beginning and I definitely don't see the end, but I know God does. And he does cause all things to work together for good, for his glory and our good. Dear friend, are you just coasting through life? Are you content to do just a little righteousness and a little or a lot of you? What are you depending on for your sins to be forgiven? What are you depending on for your sins to be forgiven? You say your sins are forgiven, but you still are involved in sin and it doesn't really bother you. That's a problem. You might well have a false trust and you're depending on yourself. Are you letting sin be at home in your life? It's not really that bad. There's a lot of good Christians who do it. And we lose sight of the standard as not another Christian, but our holy God. A reverent faith in the Lord loves him and him alone. A reverent faith in the Lord obeys him and him alone. A reverent faith in the Lord worships him and him alone. Let's pray.